What's up, everybody? Welcome to Benchtown TV. This is Brian here with Kyle, Luke, Paul, and Kathleen. And today we are continuing our Rooks and Vets coverage of Sci-Fi's The Magician Season 5 that just came out on Netflix. And today we have some absolute heaters in Episodes 5 and 6. These were just so unbelievably fun. Yeah, these two episodes, when they came out live, were were released on the same day so we wanted to treat this podcast like a part one and part two just as the writers did because they flow right into each other and it feels like a completed arc um so this podcast is going to be a little bit longer you might want to take it in strides but we're definitely going to power through and have a good time doing it it's two of the best episodes specifically episode six is up there top three episodes of the series specifically with humor so this is going to be a fun one but i do have the episode descriptions for apocalypse now it's katie punches a dude margo misses cocaine yawn (laughs) and for oops i did it again we've got margo and elliot have a bad day elliot has a bad day Love like that one. Groundhog Day episode. And when Josh starts ripping the like, uh, happy death day, happy death day to you. <laughs> oh my God. That was a nod to us. Luke. So great. <laughs> I, I wrote down that. Exactly. Yeah. The happy death day and edge of tomorrow are the best. I love the inside joke of, of Josh all of a sudden, not really all of a sudden because Josh's entrance into the series was come with me if you want to live. Like he's been dropping lines since the beginning. So it is kind of funny that they gave him this like storyline that he's a film fanatic and he's, I don't know. I just, I just love Josh. (laughs) Josh has the greatest role in the group, man. He just cooks for them. He's the little nerd of the group. Like he just, at first I was upset that he fell asleep and I was like, oh, like he's not going to do much. But then what he steps into is just so perfect. He's just the man. I do want to say, so of course in episode five, three people have to have moon brain to talk to her. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, do the spell. Mm. And I gave tags and kyle the prompt separately i said when you get to the point where they give you the prompt that three people have to do it i want you to guess the three people brian did guess kyle did not because i hate him hell no <laughs> who did you say brian which you started laughing right away because you had you had josh in there and then you- i actually forget but i sent josh and the next scene was him falling asleep uh yeah. for some reason i thought they were going to give him that important thing to do and he was also very upbeat he was cooking cupcakes like keeping morale high and then he just dropped the ball but his dream that he fell asleep to was a very nice dream love it no, okay, I got it right here. So yeah, you said Josh, Penny, and Alice, and then immediately yeah. just in a text of ha 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 ha. <laughs> so normally when we go through our magician series on the podcast, we like to bucket everything, but for this specific podcast, we're gonna go scene by scene because everybody's together and it just flows more naturally that way. So so stay with us. We are gonna hit it in chronological order. With that being said, we pick up right after the last episode to end it with Zelda explaining that she had some knowledge about the harmonic convergence. So we're back in the Marina Katie apartment and she's going on and explaining about, she's talking more about the moon. And one of the cool things she says right away is that the moon has had, has been such a subject of magicians for all of history that there have been an infinite amount of spells cast on it so much that it, it, it formed its own magic proof outer layer, which is just kind of badass. but that makes it, 10 times harder to do anything with it. So they're going to have to figure out a creative way to, to interact with the moon and get it to move. So that the harmonic convergence doesn't happen. What if we just move Mars? She said with a straight face. (laughs) Yeah, I really like that. And 
the fact that Zelda knows so much and actually comes into use is awesome. But I really liked how she explained everything with the little pieces. This is uh, the harmonic convergence where everything gets insane. But if you just move this a little bit out of the way, then the whole connection gets lost. Yeah, the all end. the circumstances are going to be different, but that's such a secondary effect of saving the world that they're just kind of putting that on the back burner, which makes sense. So Zelda says, don't worry about that. We'll figure it out later. Then they start having the conversation in the same scene about the lunatics, which is just a code name for anybody that that worships the moon in a in a magical way. It's short for lunar fanatics, and they just smushed them together. Lunatics was born and wow, these guys were terrific when we finally do get their introduction, but... Kai, of course your boy Daniel Quinn knew what's up with the with the lunatics. It's like, oh, yeah. Um, Alice says he thought Daniel thought they were insane, which says a lot coming from him because he has a high bar because he's married to Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> my face absolutely lit up when she talks. When she just says my dad, I was like, let's go! <laughs> I fucking also, love me some Daniel Quinn. Yeah, also, we get information that um, if they move the moon, it's basically going to create a whole new circumstance, like a brand new circumstance for magic, which ultimately sends Katie off on her mission because she's like, okay, well, then we need to get this fucking Reedsmark thing settled right now because who knows what magic is going to be after this. So right now, they aren't really thinking about consequences because the alternative is everyone dies. So they're like, better a new circumstance than everyone being dead. And we get the title sequence after that. And this was the first one that I really, really looked at it. I paused it and, you know, you see, I really noticed like the Kraken going up and stuff. And I was like, oh, we're probably going to get some Kraken stuff the next couple episodes. Yeah. So we also get the knowledge that the lunatics, they kind of get a bad rap, Zelda says, for they just kind of had very weird rituals for worshiping the moon, but they get this bad rap as lunatics. And she even went on to say that in some cases, some, you know, achieve this special connection to the point where they are able to communicate with and move the moon. So obviously now our heroes, their mission is going to become, let's talk to one of these lunatics and see what's up with the moon. Enter Reba. Really cool idea for tattoo placement. I just, I thought it was so unique and it was sweet. And she just seems immediately like a hippie. We're all part of the skeleton, but we're all just bones. The setting that they're in is basically a mental ward, right? Psychiatric hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so this is just Julie and Alice going to get as much information as they can about these lunatics. Yeah, this girl Reba is a little eccentric, but she's kind of well, she's kind of entertaining. They fucked up though, because I forget who it was. I think it was Alice uh, who said it instead of her and that just set reba down the wrong path immediately yeah. her lunacy <laughs> yeah her or yeah. she pronouns yeah get the pronouns right <laughs> i just have a bullet committed to saying this chick is crazy i would be remiss if we passed over setting up the joke for later on where if we're all skeleton part of the skeleton of the universe she says i am a humorous and you looks alice den the eyes a patella Onwards, we advance. Julia kind of starts working the angle of think how many people you could possibly save that would then commit their lives to the moon and become a lunatic like you. And Reba's kind of buying into this. You know, how else are you going to sell this to an insane person? And Reba kind of continues by saying, you know, you don't just move her, you ask her to move. So it's, there's more to it than just casting magic on the moon and moving it. Uh, So we start getting kind of the laws to the ritual of moving the moon. Uh, You need three magicians 
who all need to have quote unquote moon brain in order to even contact the moon. And Alice says, so it's a cooperative spell then? And Reva says, it is a sign of respect, kneecap, that allows you to see her as she truly is. And she continues by saying, if you have moon brain, then you will see her aura. Uh, now it is red, but when you perform a dianic ritual, her aura will change. If it is yellow, she is considering. If it is green, she is listening. Only then can you ask to move. So there's a lot to this. Obviously, it's not going to be so simple to move the moon. And Julia asks if the guy who invented the streetlight was a lunatic because green, yellow, red. And she was just like, oh, yeah, William Potts. Of course he was. <laughs> Funny That's stuff. legit, too. That's legit. His name was William Potts. She can listen to anyone who calls to her, basically, once it is green. And I love what she's like. And you definitely need a moon rock. So you need a piece of the moon in order to call to her. And But it will be destroyed. So don't use your favorite one. <laughs> she starts tearing up a little bit. <laughs> and then I think she just goes full mental ward, says like, oh, pudding time. Yeah. And just like stands up and leaves them before they can ask some of the better questions later. Which is, of course, um, excuse me, what is Moonbrain? Okay, so this next scene is pretty quick. It's Penny and Lipson. She's basically just telling him not to travel blind. She's spinning the globes, touching it, being like, you're beat. You're going to end up in water if you try to go. So he's kind of like, all right, then I'm out. I'm useless. Like, I'm not going to work here anymore. And she tells him that Breakbills is on their Dean Vanishment Protocol because Fog is MIA. Of course, we know he's in the etheric realm. And the optics would be shit flakes if a professor who is disabled uh, left. He also becomes a new Walters coach, which is all um, just hilarious because Penny would fucking hate all of that. I love that Lipson gets that that designation. Yeah. Just they are throwing her in our face this season in the best way. Like she's just she's this is probably the most screen time she gets per episode of any season yeah. is, is this one right here. But this led me to a question that I want to ask the Rooks knowing episode five and six. Like we don't get anything with Dean Fogg. We have a couple conversations about him, but what are you thinking? Are, are we thinking that he will not be coming back? Do you have hopes that the etheric realm is going to come back into play or just what do you guys talk? Cause I know we mentioned it in the last podcast. I would say it's more on Katie, uh, Katie and Zelda have their conversation about Dean Fogg today. So it's, I think if we see Dean Fogg again, it's because Katie's going to reach out and try and bring him back, but whether or not we get to see that or not, I, I'm not sure. I, I really hope that we do. I would agree that we're going to see him again, but I don't know if it's going to be, Katie bringing him back because I feel like Zelda explained that it's kind of up to him. Mm. But like his actions will be cause Emp to kick him out, essentially, is the only way he'll get out. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That makes way more sense. I'm with you. And I believe in our boy Dean Fogg. So I think we are going to see him. Yep. Just come Yeah, I believe me. in Thanks, him. Rook. Love that. I got you, boy. Yeah. So after that quick sidebar, let's jump into the next scene, which is, I think, the only time we see Fillory throughout these two episodes. Yeah. It's going to be from Elliot and Margo's perspective again, and they're just having a conversation and Elliot sounds like <clears throat> he's not defending the dark King, but painting him in a better light than, than Margo has the idea of, you know? So also they quickly talk about Josh who, who wants to have the conversation about him and Margo's relationship and she's just sidestepping him. But then we have Josh breaking into the scene with the bunny Let's said, go! Yeah. They have returned. <laughs> the name of the episode, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah, you got a pretty good bunny voice. 
Thank you. <laughs> this is funny because Margot's like, Josh is like fucking annoying me. And then she, Josh shows up and she goes, hey, what's up? And this like <laughs> fake girly ass voice. It's perfect delivery. Josh is really busy with his film club and being the head chef. He was promoted and now he's really busy, but they have to go to Earth to stop the apocalypse with their friends. Um, and then Josh also has his bar, uh, nephew's bar mitzvah after this. So, um, Mazel. I, I was just going to say, I, I love that. <laughs> Mazel. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> it's the little things, man. The little things. I will say, I don't think that Margo has the right to be pissy about Josh wanting to have this conversation. I'm way more on team Josh of this oh, relationship. She's not. I don't think she's pissy. I think she's avoiding it because she feels so guilty about it. Like, she, oh, here she comes. Yep, I knew she was going to be defending Margo. Margo. <laughs> no, she knows she's in the wrong. She doesn't think she's in the right. There's no way she's avoiding it like anyone would because she has to. First of all, she likes to bury her feelings. Second of all, she is in the wrong. She would have let Josh die. So she knows she's wrong. She doesn't want to fucking talk about it. But <clears throat> you're right. She doesn't. She should overre up and have the conversation. Yep. Don't yeah, but she's going to dick out. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> so now they're going to they're going to head to Earth for the apocalypse. So they go to Fen first. Elliot goes to Fen and kind of gives her a quest uh, to get info on everyone in Fillory now, what they think about fairies, who hates them, etc. Um, and she says something like, I got this maid job to be close to you. And she's like, I want to help stop the apocalypse too. And then they do this bit about you're the maid on the outside. Like it's a good trope. Like every, it's a very good trope. <laughs> every heist has one. Yeah. Like, the secret sexy staple. maid. And she <laughs> yeah. like does a little smile wink when he says that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's like, as he walks away, he's like, you should join Josh's film club. It's just an inside joke for this episode and the next, I guess. But there, it's not a past joke, I don't think. And nah. I, well, I mean, he had to leave the bowling club behind a little bit, so he had to start a new club to make more friends. <laughs> uh, I might have jumped the gun by saying this is the only fillery scene because we do have one more, and we could just flow oh. through that right now because it's another Fen scene a little bit later in this episode. Yeah. And this is when she meets the fairy who is coming to talk to her. And that's when she goes, oh, I'm a super secret, super sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Fen, man. Fen is the best. The fairy thinks that Fen should be intimidated. I wonder why we should say that the fairy knows that she's high King Fen. She literally addresses her as high King Fen. And Fen's like, yo, keep that on the DL, baby. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they would think she'd be intimidated just because she's a human in general. I don't know. seems like fairies are on the down and outs right now. So that's going to be Fen's storyline for the upcoming episodes, getting some more information with fairies, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Now the whole squad is together. Is there anything better than having the whole team in this apartment hanging out and trying to stop the fucking apocalypse? Uh, having the whole team with Fen trying to stop the apocalypse. But I think she's getting into some business in Fillory. I thought you were going to say Quentin B. Toms. I was like, oh. Oh. Well, true. On meth, trying to stop the apocalypse. There you <laughs> go. Episode, they were like, Penny, you don't have the biggest role here, but you're going to be so fucked up on meth like muffins that it's going to be hilarious. And notice how nobody even cares if Penny Forty's here, because I don't. <laughs> well, they oh, have 23. So yeah, they know 40's 23 is the better one. No one, they didn't say anything about Quentin, too. You think they don't care that Quentin's there? Bitch. Shut up. I just hate Penny Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. So we get the information about Moonbrain. 
that it's insanity from extreme sleep deprivation, uh, which it only comes with five nights without sleep. And you can't use magic to get there, which is fucking devastating. And the harmonic convergence is happening in five nights. So they have to start right in this moment. And that's why that's where I wrote my note. Who are the three? And I texted you guys. And only Brian cares about me. <clears throat> do you guys think you could do that? If no. the world depended on it? I don't think I could do that. No way. Stay up for five days straight without even closing your eyes for like okay. five minutes. Impossible. Quick question for everybody of the five of us on this podcast, which three would be able to do it? I mean, if I we're making so meth sorry. muffins, I would give it a run for its money, I think. <laughs> I, yeah. I can I only assume around that. Adderall. <laughs> I would really try my hardest, guys. I would. <clears throat> But if I did fall, it doesn't sound very convincing. If yeah, I, I think did, Kathleen would definitely ask out. I think Kathleen and Paul would be the first to sleep and it would, be, I, it would fall onto me, B. Thompson, Luke. I could yeah. easily see that. But just know I would do the Josh roll where I would make sure you all stay awake and blast the music and squirt you cool. with little bottles. And you know what? You <laughs> would excel. Gun. Thanks, dude. <laughs> well, that's what that's what this next scene is, which is kind of hilarious because I'm jealous of them getting to hang out for these. The first four, like three days would have been so fun to just be in that room when they're just chugging coffee, they're doing puzzles and yeah. just hanging out. Like, I want to be in that room with them so badly. Yeah, so this is 96 hours until the harmonic convergence and 36 hours no sleep with, in this first one. We get our first Elliot hearing the whisper of his name. What did you guys think? I'm, I'm kind of upset that you guys saw both episodes because I would have liked to know what you guys thought was good. It, is the monster back what it is? But of course... For our readers, our listeners, they have seen both episodes. So they, of course, know that it's Charlton. Yeah, it's funny because I got to watch episode six twice. I just had enough time. I wanted to, you know, know my notes and watching it without knowing that it's Charlton and then watching it knowing the whole time that it is Charlton makes it a completely different episode. Every time I see like Let Me Out written in blood, I'm like, oh my gosh, Charlton. <laughs> That's so funny. So, and also we can't pass over Margot saying she wants to make this party a little bit more 80s themed. And who is she talking to? That's just like, no, Josh. I'm not getting you Coke. Of course it's Josh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Josh. He's the fresh powder. I mean, cocaine, get me cocaine. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they shoot that idea down and then she immediately hits us with a great quote of, I get a full nine every night and I'm still a bitch. This is going to get real. <laughs> So as the scene progresses, Alice comes out with like a, a web article and it's just like, oh my gosh, I just found this crazy thing. There's approximately 180 moon rocks that went missing and are have been just turning up in random places like abandoned dresser drawers and stuff like that. So she's essentially saying there's about... 200 give or take moon rocks that are just out there. So this is doable to find one. And then Josh says, all right, you guys worry about the moon rocks. I'm going to go get us some stay awake supplies. And Elliot's just like, that's exactly what I would say if I was trying to get us to make meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this scene is just absolutely perfect. It's just the quotes, everything that's going on, them preparing to actually like do this thing to stay up for 132 hours is like Luke said, I just want to be there. It's just the meth play is just such a magician's thing. And they just they just put pedal to the metal they don't run away from it that that comes up as a theme so many times throughout these two episodes maybe it's just drug this episode. on point this this season this whole season really drug use is classic and we love it oh yeah 
I said to you guys that this season has been absolutely hilarious. These two episodes were so funny. Like I cracked up multiple times, especially, I mean, off the market quote I just said, she follows that immediately up with, we're stealing from NASA. Hell yeah. Mama's going to check one more thing off her bucket list. <laughs> and she gets so sad when Alice is like, nah, we can't do that. <laughs> I think why these episodes are so good. It's just so Margo Elliott centric. That's just too good of a combination. But what, yeah, what they were saying was these moon rocks, they're just people are forgetting about them. They're just leaving them in their attic and stuff. So we got a chance to go find them. But like, how do you even start? Like, what would be your first move? Like, go check like somebody's attic, like right away, like hit some garage sales or something. Well, I think that's the issue too, because they don't have a, they doesn't, isn't there a huge time skip until like day one? Yeah, one left, the next you know? time skip is three days later. Twelve yeah, hours. Yeah. They really do struggle yeah. to do this kind of the easiest part of the whole heist. Too. Yeah. Well, it, the thing is, if they can't find one, they're beat. So they can't even like get a plan without mm-hmm. getting the moon rock first, which sucks. So while everybody's out looking for moon rocks, though, we do get a quick Zelda and Katie scene. And Katie is just asking Zelda about this this missing book depository that all she knows is that it is in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, so naturally she goes to Zelda, the librarian, and Zelda gives her the insight that library buildings are charmed to blend into their environments, which is so cool. And she'll have to go like door to door and look for the building with the ward. So of course we're going to get our lens again. I was pretty excited for that. They need to do this quickly. Katie's kind of yelling at Zelda to do this with her. Like she's like, you don't have a choice, bitch. You're coming. Like I need you. I'm not asking. Yeah. I'm not asking you're coming. And like I said before, the reason they're, they have to get this done now instead of helping with the moon rocks is because they're unsure of what the circumstances are going to be after they move the moon. So the reason marks might be permanent, permanent on them if they can't get it done. Cause the, the, the book that they're trying to get, who knows if that spell will work to remove the reads mark in the new circumstance. So Katie is not messing around. She's like, bitch, we're going. Okay. So next we've got what we find out to be Josh's dream. So he's baking and Margo comes up to him in the kitchen with a moon rock. They found it. They're so happy. And she's so hyped. And she goes, I want to have an open naked conversation about her relationship. I'm going to tell you all about my repressed emotions. One by one. Margo's so hot. He is feeling it in this moment. I was just going to say, I'm so jealous of Josh's actor just to be on the receiving end of that. Like, Oh God. If I was Josh, I'd be like, Oh, can, can I get a retake? Can we just do that scene one more time? I just want to, you know, make out with Margot real quick and listen to her say all these dirty things. The best is that it's just it's supposed to be like a sexy fantasy, and his sexy fantasy is him, her telling him about it, her emotions. Yeah, <laughs> Josh is the man. He is the man. I'm obsessed with him. My God. It quickly um, went from Margot saying Josh all sexy to just screaming Josh. Well, before he opens his eyes, he's like, oh, no way. I can't believe I did this. Immediately wakes up. He's like, oh, God, I'm such an asshole. Freaks out because he goes, I never fall asleep while I have something in the oven. I believe him. Yeah. Well, he fucked up this one. He's some burnt meth muffins. The sad thing is we go from this hilarious scene to probably one of the more depressing parts of the episode with Julia giving the uninspiring, inspiring speech where you just you could just feel the Quentin missing from this scene, in my opinion. Like I just felt like if Quentin was there, this would have been his moment of the episode, right? Where he just tells him, you know, we gotta fucking do this. We gotta save, we gotta save the world, we gotta bring magic back, steady it all, you know. But Julia gets the job done. Uh it's not it's not too inspiring, but 
you know, that's kind of her role. She is the Quentin best friend. She's taking up the mantle. Yeah, we could have used some uh, some cue like rolling the fingers through the hair, like freaking out a little bit, you know, just getting that bang behind his ear again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But she makes a really good point and it's doesn't make you motivated at all. But she's saying like nobody's making you do this and we're not going to get credit even if we do succeed. But, you know, I'm going to do it because I know I'm going to die trying to help. And it's just so upsetting. And it goes back to like the episodes before where it had the sisters who ended up saving the world. It's the same thing. It's like, Jesus, this crew of these Breakville students have like saved the world so many times. And now they just have to do it again. And they're not going to get any credit for it. I think it's important to note, too, that prior to Julia giving the speech and the reason she's giving it is because Margot suggests going to Fillory so they don't die, like weather out the storm in Fillory. So when the earth explodes, because they're beat, they think they're beat. They have four fucking nights left and they're like, we cannot find any moon rocks. It's a it's a long they got a long and my axe. Yeah, yeah, another, another <laughs> yeah. quote. And he's from? like, ah, oh, shit, swinging and miss. He's like, should I have led with you have my bow? I was like, no. Dude, he's Lord of the Rings. That's classic Josh pop culture reference, just like at the wrong time, man. That would kill somewhere else, just not around these guys. It does say in the subtitles, too, in parentheses, Gimli voice. That's oh, really? That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three days later, 12 hours until the harmonic convergence. Morale is low. Josh is just going around spraying them with a water pistol. You One know, more. meth muffin. <laughs> meth muffins are in the oven. And this is when Elliot says that he found a lead potentially for Moon Rocks. And it's with this dude, Orrin Westbrook, who you know, just has stupid money. He invented pop-up ads and the software that blocks pop-ups. Classic. Yeah, so, so funny. <laughs> he just so beat good. the system. Um, yeah, and they're looking at this guy's Instagram page and they see that he has the lunatic tattoos. So they're like, all right, this this might actually be a thing. This Orrin Westbrook guy might might have the moon rock. Great business model. Just make ad blocker and then make the software that detects ad blocker. <laughs> I almost like, think that's yeah. a real story and it might not be ad blocker. It might be like viruses or something, but that there's, there's some real story about that where like the person who made yeah. the virus, make the- like a virus made the blocker, something like that. And Julia puts it into perspective. She says, great. All we have to do is convince an eccentric billionaire to give up what he probably considers to be his Holy grail. All while we haven't slept in four days. So Penny is always double fisting the meth muffins. It's so funny. I, I, Brian, just like you said, I watched it twice yesterday and watching him in the background on the second one is excellent because you're not paying attention. He doesn't really have that many lines in the, in these episodes, but he is always double fisting fucking meth muffins. He has the bag of meth muffins. He's saying crazy shit. Um, but I do want to say that these are a new batch with lavender and goji berry. So Josh is really experimenting. He's trying to he's trying to butter them up. Because he fell asleep. Yeah, I was pissed when Josh fell asleep. And I also said this earlier too, but he was absolutely killing it as kind of like their, I don't even know the right word to use, but kind of, yeah, kind of den mother. I like that. Um, But Alice and Margot look way too good for this being what, four days without sleep or more. Like they look so well put together while everyone else looks like a mess. I don't think Alice has a single moment of, being a mess like the entire time she's yeah, doing she's the lunar so brain but i also attribute that to partially because she has the strongest willpower i would say yeah so she i was think a that's in character she didn't sleep for months yeah 
I sent my notes to the group a little bit, bit of my notes while I was taking them because they were so crazy. And they, my note did say, everyone looks so hot in this episode. And moving forward, so now it's eight hours until the harmonic convergence. Elliot and Julia, it's like such a good little nod to them as the brother and sister monster because they're like dark eyes. They're tired. They're beat to fuck. It's like such a fun little nod, but they both look hot. I'm like, they're a million hours without sleep and I would still bang both of them. Okay, yeah, couldn't have, couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, moving on with the plot. Uh, so we have Elliot and Julia, and they're the two that go to Oren's house and follow up with this with this lead on the moon rock. And like Kathleen was kind of just saying, in this scene, you can really feel that these two totally have the moon brain right now. Like they're acting loopy. They don't know what's what. And they, they're meeting this guy, Oren Westbrook. And He's actually a really funny character, stereotypical, like eccentric billionaire. He's like, ah, oh, sorry about the security guys. You can't let every lunatic in. Some people are crazy. They're just having this banter. They're so exhausted talking to this billionaire. They go to see his moon rock and <laughs> Julia's like, hey, can we turn the lights on and maybe turn down the yoga music? Once they go to the main room that where they're looking at the moon rock, she's pretty savage about how straightforward she is totally. because she at one point just you know doesn't care they see the rock they have the neck the magic necklace on alice already has all the information so julia doesn't give a shit anymore she's just like eyes tired like all right we're gonna do this we need your rock we need to move the moon like all this stuff which i kind of liked the the progression of that first part of the plan i really think stella is an mvp this this specific episode whereas margo and elliot obviously take the cake cake in the next one she's so good at acting tired her her comedy beats in this like exhausted being like you said the the quentin of the group and trying to like get morale high she's so good at being tired and i totally agree i have that same line she's being just so savage she's like straight to the point listen bitch we gotta we gotta do this like we need it another interesting line from them first meeting Warren westbrook is that he says that he's been to the actually no you know this actually is in the room i think with the rock and he says that he's been to the moon because he was trying to impress someone but their souls didn't connect and first of all elliot's reaction is so funny because he's like hand to his heart goes like oh like that's so sad that that didn't work out but you know after you watch the episode now thinking about it again it was mayakovsky's daughters who he's talking about i think they right after that conversation they talk about the rock isn't it isn't it orin that says does he mention Mayakovsky? Is he the one that says no. Mayakovsky? No, Alice. Alice could tell by the the spell work, the lattice work. Leave his name. Yeah, exactly. And well, we do find out more. that it was kind of like a recon mission. They want to see what's the deal with mm-hmm. the mansion itself. Kind of, they get a lay of the land. Alice just like whips up the map and is just ready to go and so into it while everyone else is still beat tired. You know, I love that they brought the best bitches necklace back. You know, yeah. I love it. I was gonna say, I love how they kind of use some reoccurring magic or themes like this locket like all the time they don't do it in a way where you're like oh like this happened before we can you know we did this once let's just use the same magic we did but this locket is just so cool and like you were saying julie just didn't give a fuck she was like all right cool we're here oh man i didn't i really wanted that rock too bad and then just leave watching this i haven't seen it in months so when i was watching it for the first time I'm like oh my girl so smart both my girls julia and alice and i also love that they're teaming up so much more this season it's it's a joy it really and is what orange game. says to their face like oh looks like you guys have a little moon brain yourself from the sunken eyes like i'm, I'm gonna have a little you know harmonic convergence party later tonight at my place so guess guess what they're gonna be doing later tonight <laughs> 
So I was describing the scene, but I glanced over the part where when they're talking to Oren, Elliot kind of has like a noticeable episode where he's hearing, I, I thought it was Q's voice, but it's just a voice we learn saying, Elliot, let me out. Like it's a whisper. And he noticeably reacts to it. So the next scene that we get is Julia kind of confronting Elliot about that episode. And she says, Hey, listen, like, I know things are crazy. I, while we're on moon brain and sleep deprived, like I must've tried to dial cues number five times. Like we're not ourselves. And then she's like, you know, I remember everything about when I was in the monster or the monster was inside me. Like it's okay to talk to me about it. Did any of you guys think of, let me out, let me out. This is not a dance. I'm begging for help. I'm crying for help. Like from Rick and Morty, no? Yeah, yeah, nah, I know exactly. That was a good performance. That's when he's a teenager, right? When he goes Little Rick. Yeah. <laughs> but no, this this pairing is kind of awesome because it doesn't feel like we ever get real moments between Julia and Elliot. Julia's the only one that can understand anything that Elliot's going through if it has to do with being possessed by the monster because obviously she had the sister who was the stronger of the two, and she had those memories as well. So I just thought that this was a cool way to have them connect, and we haven't got them together alone ever, I don't think. so. Yeah, he's always calling her hedge bitch. Always. She puts it in very certain terms. Like, it was in me for, what, a day-ish, hours? It was in you for months. I don't know why you're lying to me. And Elliot is getting really defensive. Mm -hmm. And Margot overhears this entire conversation, which is a key part, too, because Mm -hmm. she knows that Elliot's freaking out. I like that Julia calls him L sometimes. Mm-hmm. So moving on, we return to Zelda and Katie, who are still looking for this depository. And Katie is kind of having issues, not really feeling chatty. She's kind of just being a bitch to Zelda too. And, and this is this is just Katie being Katie. And she starts to tell Z- Zelda that she blames herself for what happened to Dean Fogg being stuck in the etheric realm. And this is where we get, uh, I think Kathleen was, or me and Kyle were talking about, we were all talking about it as a podcast. Zelda has insight into the etheric realm. It's revealed that she spent three years there. And I love that they're peeling back the layers to Zelda because what an interesting character she is. The beginning of this scene was sweet because it's just Katie so frustrated. She's trying to get this lens to work like through her fingers, can't figure it out. And Zelda just straight up says, hey, you know, inner circumstances matter too. So if you're upset or something's on your mind, like maybe we should talk about it and maybe that'll help the casting. And that's exactly what she was saying, B-Tom. She was like, Dean Fogg, literally, like he's there because of me. They're really laying on the internal circumstances thick this season, don't you think? Like something that they hadn't brought up previously, internal circumstances. They're like, just so you know, it's a thing. We're going to bring it up a hundred more times because it's probably going to play a bigger role. But I <laughs> loved this Zelda Katie scene. If you can have a scene where Katie softens up with Zelda, that is a good ass scene. This emo- this hit me in like an emotional way. I was like, damn. The first thing I wrote down about this scene is that everything about Zelda the actress who plays her is so perfect. Like the way that she holds her hands up and out when she walks, first of all, that feels very tiring to do this all the time, every day, but her facial expressions and the cadence to her speech, like it's just nailed down to a T. She is just so perfectly Zelda. I want to snug her up. She's so she sweet. could get a spinoff for sure. Yeah. Like a whole backstory of Zelda when she meets Amp in the etheric realm, all that dope stuff. I That's funny you say that, Kyle, because as many times as Zelda's been in all the podcasts, this is the first time I wrote a note that said, I wonder if the actress who plays Zelda came up with that 
the arms thing because it's so iconic. Mm -hmm. It's so her. She's been doing it since the moment we've seen her. And I wonder if she was like, I kind of just want a thing that I do and did that. Or if some reason they wrote that in the script. I don't know. It does make her seem like a little dainty woman, though, doesn't it? I never for in a million years would have guessed that Zelda was in the drug world under the emp like that. And like, that's just insane (laughs) to to me. But she did come out and reveal to us that she was able to leave. She said, once I stopped hating myself and I could live with myself, you know, emp got bored with me and he kicked me out. So, and basically she's, they confirm what we already know. Fog's there because of his own demons. He needs to figure those out. And the reason that the M kicked Katie out is because she's good. Like Katie feels like shit for the whole thing. And that was going to bum the M out, but she's just a good person. She was going to do more good. Um, but it's such a good scene. Zelda rocks. I love me some Zelda. Yeah. She closes by saying, don't wait, don't waste time on self pity. Do what you came here to do. Gets a refocus. And then Katie puts up the lens again and says, Oh, it's working again. You know, let's, let's look for this depository. And that takes us to the end of that scene. But that brings us to kind of wrapping up this Zelda and Katie storyline where they actually find and enter this book depository and Zelda being the master magician that she is locates uses a locator spell to get the medical book that Katie tried before her and it didn't work. And Katie just says something that I thought in this scene too. She's like, I, I always forget that you're a master fucking magician. This is awesome. After that, after they get the book, they start talking about giving that book to Harriet, who is Zelda's daughter and get it to into the hands of the hedges. They also start hinting at if the, the saving the moon plan doesn't work, we're going to need the backup plan of having all the hedges cast at the same exact time to to move it right yeah yeah if they can't get the moon rock and then as they're having this conversation i don't think it really goes deeper than that they walk away and walk out and you see this random magician who saw this all went down he just sends out a text and you just have to assume it's like a warning text what did you guys think about that the first time i saw it because i totally thought visigoth i mean i did definitely didn't think visigoth i just you know, obviously there's someone moved the, you know, the book depository. So I didn't honestly think anything deeper than we'll figure that out later. He, he looked like a hedge just because of how he was dressed. I think Paul said on one of the other episodes, they're always wearing like beanies and like raggedy clothes. He looked like a hedge witch, but other than that, I didn't really assume anything. Did you think that there was a Marina was a possibility? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not giving my, <laughs> myself that much credit now. Yeah, no way. <laughs> So right before the last chunk of the time jump, we've got Julia and Katie going to Mayakovsky's in Breakville South and they get pinned up Mayakovsky's guy right away. Enter who we now find out is his daughter, Natasha. They're saying, we're looking for Mayakovsky. Where is he? And she goes, old, drunk, megalomaniac, fondness for Nick Caps. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I'm his daughter. <laughs> they go, oh, I didn't realize he fucked my mother. Neither did he. Should have seen my face when I came knocking. <laughs> the boldness of like, she's, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Mayakovsky is such a savage asshole, and so is she. She was looking fine. I wasn't going that path, but don't don't you hear Mayakovsky for a second when they get into the You do. And there? they and they made a comment that we glossed over earlier in the episode when they talk about Mayakovsky and that his signature was in the lattice work. They were like, Oh, appar- wasn't he senile the last time you saw him? And then they say apparently not anymore. So we'll Yeah, see. Luke, that was a good line when they first get there and they're very first kind of trapped they go oh are we here they hear screaming in the background oh yeah sure sounds like we're here Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I kind of wish he they showed him at least for a second, but I'm sure that had something to do with bringing the actor back versus actually not wanting to show him. Yeah. Moving forward, Natasha kind of finds out they're talking about Robin or robbing Orin because she's the one who installed the bond. They're talking about whatever bond was on there, which is a cool little fun twist that they said it was Mayakovsky, but it was really his daughter. And she has the same sort of like fucking narcissism that he does. She says it's the last nice thing she ever did for Orin before she caught the pe- maid pegging him and not the maid that she okayed for threesomes. Um, but the biggest part of this is that she's going to help them. But in order to help them, Get this moon rock from Orin. She wants a shade, which is fucking a high price payment in advance. And we don't get anything on that for the next two episodes. We don't get it in five. We don't get it in six payment in advance. Someone not have a shade in this. And both of these two are very aware of what that means because they both have lost their shade at some point throughout yep. the series. I love don't you hate? Babies. Don't you hate when you walk in on your? You know, boyfriend and girlfriend just getting pegged by a maid. It's not just the worst feeling. She said that so casual. Yeah, she starts it off too with any fuck. I dude totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, not even anyway. It's just any fuck. I kind of want to start using that, dude. I think that every time I watch a magician's episode, there's two or three times probably an episode where I think I got to work that into my daily vocabulary. Any <laughs> fuck. The really next works. scene is one yeah, right. The- Umber's tits. Umber's tits. One of the ones I. An Elliot line from earlier in the series, and he goes, "What in the all-encompassing fuck?" And I'm like, that's a good one. That's a really good one. That was a really good one in a really like tense moment because I was like, they were in the middle of an argument in that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. So now we're at one hour until the harmonic convergence. One hundred and thirty-one hours without sleep, and we open at Orin's party, and they bring Natasha. Natasha is there with them, and Penny is. Bugged up, and he goes straight up to Julia, and he's like, "Hey, Julia, can you remind me why I'm dressed like this, please?" <laughs> Which is so cute. They really, I really wonder why they didn't give him more in this episode. They were like, "Let's just give Penny a really bad reaction." To that. When he can't travel, he's just useless. Like that's what he's there for. They don't fuck with his personality that much. You <laughs> yeah, know? it's true. Uh, Muffin fumes. They are looking fine. All of them are looking so good. The sparkly suits that they're wearing are crazy. They're literally filled with glitter, all of them. And also at this part, the only one probably not looking their best is Elliot, who is basically season one when when he eats Josh's magic mushrooms in the Netherlands, like just tripping. Like he looks like he's about to fuck the entire plan up. But opposed to season one, when he does fuck the plan up, Margot calls him right on his shit right there. Says like, yo, do you need to pull the parachute? Then get the hell out right now. I know. They had at the time four of them that were moon brained, right? Because Margot would have filled the role that Elliot did. So it would have still worked. I don't know why they would have ever given that to Elliot in the first place. Like Margot is the one you trust. But But she's tripping too when she's like, oh, I don't remember if I got the woods off that. Wait, let's not jump because we have this like really clever way once penny is running on uh muffin fumes and is asking why am i dressed like this it's a clever way to say okay here's the plan since our audience has not heard it yet we're gonna tell you the plan one last time cute little way so josh margo and penny go inside and loop all the cameras open the side door for natasha julia ellen elliot and alice will be waiting outside and they won't cast the spell until natasha gives the signal and she's like you'll know what it is okay and this is when l sees something and margo says pull the fucking rip cord and get out so moving forward uh margo is distracting the head of security which is in like he this guy is like a pretty 
famous actor. Like, he's in a lot of stuff. He's in Riverdale. He's in a lot of good stuff, uh, which is weird because he's just like a tiny baby character in this, literally. Penny's causing a distraction, so the security guard has to actually bounce, and that's when they go and start looping the camera, and she forgets if she looped the camera. And this is a really good back-and-forth scene with them because Marco, it, the way Summer actually gives the line is really funny. It's a real moment for her and Josh. Which mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, because Josh is rested and so he's aware. And Margot has a moment where she says that. What, what do you have? So, to yeah. So this is why I was defending Margot because she does feel guilty. She says, I haven't had short term memory in days. The only thing I remember are worrying about Elliot and feeling like shit for trying to leave you in the past. And then she zooms, comes back into it and she goes, fucking Moonbrain, totally spaced out. What are you looking at? These are good. Let's go. <laughs> like, just so back and forth. It's awesome. She's perfect. I cannot wait to see what Summer Bishel does next. And hey, all of them, really. But it'll be so interesting to see Summer Bishel be another character other than Margot. I think that'll... Do you guys agree? Like, who would be the most interesting of these? Like, she's so specific as Margot. It would be insane to see her as something that's not this like sassy yeah i was just thinking that like is she gonna be playing a role where she's smiling all the time and like super happy that seems so foreign it was a small part in this scene leading up to margo getting you know they get behind the security guards but when penny uses the magic and he gets the guy to spill the drink on the dude and they get in a fight about it but there's a quote that gets thrown from the fight that's not really part of the main dialogue and it just says that's the third time you've done that tonight (laughs) (laughs) so my man was wasted at a party that was not very bumping that party was very tame bunch of lunatics there true Uh, hey so after the uh, the scene where Margot and Josh have their chat, Margot lets Natasha in the side door, and immediately the next scene is the head of security showing Oren that Natasha just walked in. So obviously Margot did not loop the cameras like she said she did. Just as that's happening, they hear a bang, and you know the whole security squad rushes in and sees that the moon rock is missing and the roof has been blown away. Uh, Margot, Josh, and Penny get caught, kind of. Are they in the moon rock room? They just get caught and surrounded by the head of security or the security team. And then Natasha gets away and drives away. So I would say that the ultimate distraction was seeing Natasha like that was purposeful. They knew that seeing Natasha on the screen would trigger the whole place to be like, go get the what's the one thing that only she could steal from you. And it was illusion magic the whole time. So Penny, Margo, yeah. and Josh were there just to be the scapegoats or the red herrings or whatever you want to call them. And then they were the distraction. And Natasha was the ultimate kind of distraction and the signal was her faking the illusion magic and then like exploding up on the scene i thought this was genius but my question was was katie natasha the whole time the way she does this and natasha like natasha escapes with the moon rock she gets into the van the van starts driving away and then she changes her face and it's katie was it katie the whole time was it never natasha like is that why they didn't have to give a shade because it wasn't ever fucking natasha I was just going to say that because I don't think they gave their shade. And right. the reason I initially thought it was because they don't actually take the rock. Yep. You know, because it was trading the rock for the shade. But now that you're saying this now, too, I guess I just assumed that Natasha did Katie. But I like it better that Katie did Natasha because Katie does end up showing up like right there. Mm-hmm. I totally didn't even realize that. I'm on like three times watching it. it never realized me it. saying, where the fuck? Did the shade thing go and actually typing out these notes for me and talking it through to realize yeah, that you just that blew was my mind. Epic, that's that's what it is. Just, Natasha wasn't ever involved, but they used Natasha's face to help 
yeah. make the plan work. And so then she purposely, like exactly what you were saying earlier, Kathleen, they wanted her to get caught on the cameras. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Margot did do. It's the epic, it's job. the most ultimate heist plan. They're like, okay, <laughs> we can't give our shades. We got to just work around this somehow. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we don't have to take the moon rock. We'll just do it in its place. Genius. Yeah. Then speaking of a heist plan, my man Josh gets really into character with the heist plan and he's like acting like the snitch and like afraid of it. You know what I mean? What does he say in the beginning when he's like, you know, doesn't matter what you do to us. We'll never tell you. He's just like acting like he's in a movie. (laughs) And then we flash back to him and they say like, he just falls asleep and Marco's just like, oh yeah. Like when he gets like stressed out and he just takes a nap. <laughs> his, his fight or flight spawns is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another amazing guy. thing by the writers. It's because the only reason he fell asleep is because he's the only one not on meth. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. But yeah, so now we're actually, it's, it's Elliot, Alice and Julia doing the spell. My note is just who the fuck let Elliot be this last person. So the aura is red. The three of them are casting the spell. It's now yellow. Elliot wanders off because he hears the whisper and it was just about to be green and they get fucked. I like that line Julia had where she goes, oh, yeah, like I definitely have moon brain because I can see the moon's aura. Like, that's a great point. Like, how do you think they were freaking out? Like, oh, shit. Like, what if we're not like moon brainy enough? Or That's true. Like, if there's no way to tell plan. Yeah. But yeah, you were saying they get fucked. And because ins come the rest of the squad, it's the security team and they're pointing guns at them. And then all of a sudden they fall asleep and hit the floor too. And then that's when the parallel of Josh falls asleep. Before we, we get more information there, that's when we're seeing Elliot look himself in the mirror. You see Goth Monster oh Elliot. Oh my God. Which, dude, he, you don't really realize, but he looked so different last season. Mm-hmm. He, he has some of the most crazy transformation. Because if you go back to season one, when he's all like proper and British, like he has just changed every single season how he looks. And then you could just tell like how his hair is sitting a little bit in front with like a couple of curls and shit. Like that is the monster. And it's not, it's fucking Charlton. I know. I fucking love the look he rocks this season. I love his hair long. He has that like deep five o'clock shadow going. He looks great. Especially we'll get there in the next episode, but when they have like the uh like the Roman toga party and he's wearing the eyeliner, he looks wonderful with the eyeliner. Were you guys just in your bag watching them do the, like go back to the physical cottage and just fucking rage because that's how they do so the good. They knew what they were doing. Good. <laughs> Marina's henchman comes in first. Marina follows my fucking girl. Everyone knows I'm a Marina stan. I love it. She's confused why they aren't asleep too, which is Kyle texted this in the group. She's like, why aren't you guys asleep? The only thing stronger than that spell is, oh my God, are you on meth? (laughs) (laughs) That was well delivered. The way she like, when she realizes it and the smile she gets is so fucking Marina. (laughs) The team, our team, was under the impression that they're not on meth. Like, they never say it's meth, even though everyone is, like, saying, is it meth? And Josh is saying no. Alice goes, you know, it sure hell seems like it. (laughs) And this is where we get Marina revealing her evil ploy, saying that she needs the power from the harmonic convergence for a mission that she's doing. Actually, she might not reveal it farther than that. Uh, She handcuffs Alice and Julia and... She also reveals that she was the one that took the depository and sent the memory assassin after Katie. And Katie's like, why the hell did you do that? She said, just be lucky it wasn't a life assassin. Like, come on now. So Elliot walks in 
and how the scene is set up is he walks in while Marina has her back turned and he can now cast the spell to contact the moons by himself because the harmonic convergence is happening. You know, everything's amplified and the spell works and Elliot begins to move the moon. You know, the aura changes from red to yellow to green, but Marina sees it's happening and attempts to move it back at the same time. Before we, you know, get to the conclusion of this scene, I, I don't know what it was about Alice being in her fucking bag and realizing the opportunity they have. And she just says it like subtle. It says a comment subtly. Oh, like one person could cast this, but she's clearly talking to Elliot. Yeah. Like there's a mixture of that. And then also Elliot getting a quick redemption to his freak out right there. I just kind of got like weirdly emotional about this yeah. scene. Like it just felt great. It was because Alice and Elliot are the shit and they're, just, they're saving the day in a way, but it fucks up because Marina gets her wits back and she starts trying to push the moon back into place while Elliot's, you know, trying to push it a little bit out of the way. And they have this like intense, like screaming match, putting it all out in the line using their magic and it causes the moon to shatter. So this is one thing I was a little confused about because Reba, the lunatic that they met with, said, you don't move her, you ask her to move. So I was a little confused about how the moon just kind of split because it was it was listening to both of them, asking to be moved one way or I don't know. We, we don't point out plot holes for this show. Not this one. <laughs> I, will, I don't know. I love this show so much, but it just didn't would... make sense to me. I would say that perhaps that is how a lunatic, like a religious fanatic, would interpret the moon being moved when in reality it really is just spell work that's doing it. But I don't know. That's just to try and close a plot hole. I side with you in this personally. <laughs> also, yeah. the hand motions that they were doing to try and get this were so cool. It, it was a really unique one, which it would be if it was such like ancient magic. I can't let this line go by because Marina just really another one that they must have so much fun writing for. I The original one, I'm just going to say it is when she says that spell is a cunt with fangs this is like my favorite ever. But in this one, she goes like daddy always said, even meth can't beat handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? That's insane. She has so many daddy issues. It's insane. And we also, couldn't leave this scene without Katie knocking someone out. So our poor Fred, well, not Frederick gets the katie's wrath and gets clocked and knocked out <laughs> frederick just kind of ch- watches the scene happen like he the really does thing. then he just like walks out when he's like oh i guess i lost yeah <laughs> just, like, leaves. i i can't imagine that the people working under marina really care about her that much they're just scared well goddamn i mean i don't Lovely like, i don't did. see any reason why we don't just keep flowing into the next episode right do we want to reflect at all or are we good no, we'll reflect later. It's yeah. We'll end it with, guys, we broke the moon, and then we start right back up with the moon is broken and fragmented. We start off in space. We get a shot of these meteors, fragments hurtling towards the Earth, and the whole squad is in the New York apartment. And we get a nice quote. The president calls for calm and, quote, we will fix the moon decisively. The American people have absolutely nothing to fear. They also say that it was through a tweet. Did that? Yeah, which yeah. makes it even better. <laughs> wow, this show. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. But of course, we got our boy Josh insisting, hey, I know everything's fucked, but I must insist on some self-care pizza right now. And then we pan to Margot and Elliot, who are both just like waking up and we get a classic Margot with feeling the wrong kind of boned right now. That's a classic example of something I want to work into my everyday vocabulary. 
this is genius. I mean, the way they did this is genius. Making it a Margot Elliott, like Paul said earlier, centric episode. The two have the best comedic beats. So having this be just those centric, they have the best chemistry. It's perfect. They deserve it. Hail and summer forever. Uh, but the cool thing about this episode is that with any sort of time loop episode, movie, whatever, you have to have certain triggers. So like any ground up groundhog day scenario they're giving you like the ding of the oven josh sneezing katie barging in the door with one with one shoe Margot saying the wrong kind of bone like there's certain things that are triggering where throughout the episode they can add it as comedy where penny's like we only have 12 hours and they're like 12 hours we know like just yelling at them and shit they finesse it so well and i would really love to have been a fly on the wall when they shot all of this i would have i uh, just like that one episode of Hill House, I would die to be a fly on the wall. This is one of those. Out of all, honestly, out of all the magicians' episodes, this is probably the one. And we see most of these cues like ten times throughout this episode, but we should just establish them once. It's like you said, feeling the wrong kind of bone. Josh sneezes. Uh, Julia and Alice are just brainstorming possible solutions. Penny says twelve hours left, and Katie bursts in and says it's the literal end of the actual world out there. Riots, prayer circles, fucking in the streets. But amidst all that, we get Margot and Elliot have a little sidebar where they're like, "Okay, let's go over our code words in case things go, you know, south." And I have them here. So credenza means no questions asked. Ingle nook, tie those fools up, toss them through the fillery portal. Uh, Shifferobe means flee to Canada. Armoire means uh, shields up stat. And kimono means all hell has broken loose. Perfect. Perfect. Amazing. They literally live life on kimono. It's insane. (laughs) Uh, Another thing that's happening around this scene I think it's even before Katie comes into the room. I thought it was worth noting that Alice is starting to express a little bit of fear and doubt, which is the first time throughout the whole episode. Maybe she mentioned a little thing about finding a moon rock and freaking out about that. But Julia kind of noted this and saying, you're not giving up on me now because Julia knows that even though Julia is the the main character right now, it feels like Alice is still the Hermione and you need her. And if she's not going, then everything's not going to work. Yeah, my note about their interaction is that the two of them together are just a force. I mean, those are our two. They're the studs of the squad right there. They're the superstars. So we need them, you know, in the right state of mind, in the books, figuring everything out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like whenever there's a group project, like you always want those yeah. two to be in the group project because they'll sure. take care of it. But this line where Julie is saying to Alice, like, don't you give up because like we're going to save the world. We always save the world and we're going to do the same thing this time just to only be literally like two minutes later, just her looking off the meteors like, holy fuck, we didn't save it. It's It was so weird. One last thing is just, I wanted to say this earlier, but all of our squad being on the same team and not fighting feels so fresh for this show. There's always some feud going on in between at least some of the characters. And this is the first time where it's like, we're all on the same team. We're all in this apartment. We're not only... Even without the apocalypse, they would be on the same team. And isn't that just so joyful for you guys? Because it's joyful for me. Yeah. And there's even a quote that kind of embodies that where they established their plan. Katie reworked Richard's old reverse entropy spell, which I appreciated that callback. Um, so that that is going to be their plan to stop the meteors on the first playthrough of the time loop. And At the end of it, Julia, who is our confident person staying positive, she looks at Katie and says, just in case, 
you know, whatever I have to say to you, like I'm saying it right now. And Katie's just like, dude, Jules, we're good. Don't even that pinky. Love that scene. You know, I had mm-hmm. a tear, a tear in this eye with these. They love each other. They're best friends. And I also love that reverse entropy spell, too, because Alice looked at it and was like, wow, this is great. Like it gives Katie a little props. She has the chops, too, even though she's a hedge witch. She has the chops to rework this entropy spell and impress Alice. Like, yeah, bitch. Let's go. Alice was impressed. Yeah. And like Paul says, before you know it, it's fast forward to five minutes until impact. And this is a really cool scene. There's like tornado sirens wailing in the background. It's the literal end of the world. They start casting the hedge. You know, they have the hedges on the horn. They start casting and it doesn't work. And that's where we get our credits and the explosion of the wall. I want to say two things. One, I love that Margot kisses Josh and Elliot. So good. Right on the lips. And I love Another trigger. And to Sharon from ninth grade, I lied. It was my tampon, and that was your girlfriend. (laughs) I'm not sorry. (laughs) So fucking funny. I absolutely loved that. She has a great line, too, earlier. Do you know when it's like, you know, when we just remind everybody that everyone's behavior will still be counted when it comes time for judgment and trying to convince people not to go out and fucking kill people and rob (laughs) shit and fucking the street. And I even said it here. I was like, yo, like, I want something to crash land, like, into Earth and, like, fuck it up. You know, then it works, but there's still a bunch of, like, bad consequences. And I just did not see the whole Earth getting fucked and the time loop shit coming. Oh, yeah. You guys didn't even know it was going to be a time loop. I've been acting like I. Yeah. Wow. What do you guys the- think? I was just about to say, as a rook, the world ends five minutes into this episode. I was like, where are they going with this? And they do give us the answer next but no my head my head was blown the world was blown and my head was blown yeah my notes this the two notes i have the first one is i want something to crash land with like three exclamation points and the next one right there is just oh shit with like 12 exclamation points because i was like what the fuck just happened i love the shot too the shot from space of all the little ones like hitting and then knocking everything out and then the big one starts coming down that's the end i kind of just i hope this isn't a plot hole but where was Zelda specifically in these 12 hours? She was getting it to Harriet, the hedge stuff. She was working on her forearm exercises to keep her hands up all the time. By the knowledge we have of time loops in the magician's world, shouldn't Zelda have remembered each iteration of the time loop like she did? Why with do you the, say that? Because she did with the Jane time loops and so did Dean Fogg with the Jane time loops. Um, This is a different time loop. We can just account it to that. I okay. do not want to say it's a t- plot hole because we do not know how this shit you works. You could just maybe assume that Kraken whale magic is more powerful than Jane's ability to turn things back, right? I think that's a safe assumption too. Whale magic beats human magic any day of the week. True. Sphincter magic beats both of them. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> So going on, we have, and this is where we get our answer. What what the hell's going on? Elliot and Margot wake up again on the floor of the New York apartment and Margot kind of catches herself mid-sentence. She's like, I'm feeling the wrong kind of boned right now. And this is all happening again. You know, Penny repeats the whole 12 hours thing. Julie and Alice are still brainstorming. Uh, Yeah, Josh, bless you. And Margot and Elliot, it both clicks. They're like, we've done this before, haven't we? time loop yeah these two of course it's these two that are going through this this is like the best adventure for them well first off elliot says quick sidebar guys because everybody else is just going crazy and marco's like why is this happening they're both kind of like giddy and excited because they know that they're going on this adventure and elliot's like why is anything he asked while still freaked because the last thing he remembers is all of earth ending these two the banter and 
then they just go right to the squad and Margo's like, listen, Katie's reverse entropy spell isn't going to work. We're in a time loop. This is how we're going to go. And the first plan that they have is to give Penny an oxygen spell and make him travel to the moon. Yeah, it's so good. I love they're like, why a time loop, whatever it is. And Margo just says, obviously, the moon's a wily cunt who doesn't want to die. That's her explanation. She's just like, the moon's a cunt. And they're like, well, why did, why is it like me and you? And it's, well, obviously, we're just amazing people. Yeah, well, obviously, it's we're us. So <laughs> we get a little bit of a classic montage in one of these yeah. kind of movies. The first, you know, iteration of their plan was what we just said. And I spend the most time on that one was the Penny 23 one, <laughs> where he just like tries to travel to the moon and just comes back, just obliterate. I think you see his foot or yeah. something. <laughs> they're like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> Penny Penny says immediately, uh, I have no GPS. This isn't going to work. And Marco's like, it's the end of the fucking world. I'm going to need you to try. And it goes, it pans around to everyone's faces and they're all just like, yeah, you kind of do, dude. Yeah. He's, he's pacing back and forth too. He was building up the courage to, you know, save the world and then immediately just die. The because funny thing is that guys. they <laughs> did that so quick into the 12 hours that they had to just sit there for 11 hours with Penny just all over the fucking room yeah. and just deal with that kind of shit. The acting of the, like you said, them just sitting around being like, yeah, you kind of do is so classic. The fact that these people have been through the ringer, they just believe everything. Margo and Elle are like, we're in a time loop and they just have to take it and shine like, okay. Katie was probably like, fuck you. My, t- my plan will work. I'm like, nah, dude, it's not going to work. So back to the montage, the next plan that they have is let's move the earth. Doesn't work. You just, you know, it keeps, they keep coming up with a plan and it flashes to the scene of the meteors just hitting the world, which is a, incredible. Dang. And we keep getting ding, ding, ding. Ding. The next one we have is the sphincter magic. Doesn't work. Then we have Elliot holding up a baseball glove. Can we make that huge? Doesn't work. <laughs> so good. Uh, I had to pause it to like let out my laugh because I couldn't like fall behind taking my notes. I laughed so <laughs> fucking loud at this scene. I was almost crying. Just <laughs> this is where I started to think to myself, oh my god, what if you had this Groundhog Day scenario, but like you could only solve it by literally saving the entire world. Like the gravity of this situation is insane. And the next idea they have is, is Penny chirps in and says, you know, I, I know this horror mancer, maybe he could help send us back in time so we can stop the moon from splitting in the first place. And this is a callback to our boy, Daniel Kakuno, AKA Stoppard. Love quick, this guy. Quick note that th- there is a time <clears throat> marker here where we're 10 loops in. So this is the, <clears throat> 10th iteration of them trying and the reason that they're doing it is because they realize they have to get the loop started earlier right so they need to they need to make the revert because marina bad touched the plan classic they need to make it earlier time jump so then we get elliot and margo visiting stoppard and margo margo right off the bat is just like here's penny's home address this is the uh the coffee bar we suspect that he DJs on, like Moonlight's as a DJ ad. And she just thinks that this kid wants revenge on Penny for killing his mom. He has no interest in it, but Margot isn't like insisting, like take the information kid. And Stoppard is is looking them over with the magical lens. And it's just like, whoa, you guys have been spritzed with something that, you know, nebulized a cloud of temporal permanence. And they're like, permanence so it's it's the perfume that they got from jane chatwin for, for men, men and women for men and women now now rooks how deserved and awesome was that the reason like isn't that amazing 
Just when they just casually are in the fillery cell and just <clears> spraying <throat> themselves, does nothing. I know it says, let's go, baby, afterwards. It says, permanence, let's go, baby. Earned. Look, they have done some like really OP stuff with kind of manipulating time, but it it feels okay because it's all through Jane Chatwin. Usually I would nitpick it, but it's like, oh, Jane Chatwin knows everything about time. This makes sense that they could send these letters and, you know, just perfume would save them from this. When we were uh, recording the Jane Chatwin episode, one of the rooks, I can't remember which one of you said it, you were like, yeah, that perfume is super OP. And little did you know, it was coming back into play and literally saved the world, literally saved Elliot and Margot. Also, the horror mancer was totally earned too because that was season four, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Earned. I was just gonna say I love that everyone keeps going, "Why you two? And Margaret's like, "We're the best looking." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Permanence. Then we get stoppered. He's like, "Okay, I." He has w- just one of his inventions. He says, "Okay, I think I can get you guys to go back a full forty-eight hours so that you can just fix everything." Sounds great. And he like, you know messes with the dials and it's not working and he's like oh man i don't know what's going on something powerful and ancient must be messing with it and they're like oh maybe the fucking moon that ought to do it so all time magic is on lockdown so the horror mancer doesn't work doesn't pan out and we get another ding and then it's back to margo and elliot who the next plan is to try and use the clock to fillery and the portal isn't there this is the opening of the of the best scenes in this episode really it's oh it's the original Elliot and Margo going back to what they know best. So they take a step back and they say, do you remember Professor Soto, the one with the pants? Um, he had a test everyone thought was impossible, but they solved it because they rule. And she, he's like, do you, he asked her, does he remember something? And she goes, do you, you want me to remember a solution I came up with at a rager while doing upside down shots in a fur bikini? <laughs> So they're basically like, we have infinite time, zero consequences. We got to save the world through unbridled hedonism. They gotta That's do- the line right there. Infinite time, zero consequences. And yeah. for these two, this is the perfect two people to be in that situation. Their pep talk in the physical kids cottage was insane. They just march in there and they're like, all right, like, listen up, turds. You can either move around for the few hours you have left or you could, you know, party your asses off like the physical kids do. Okay, Miss Grant is a callback to which is what he opens with i i love the little callbacks to old elliot it's perfect so i want to say two things here real quick so again this is the first time this episode we hear the knocking again that that's going to become a main theme here especially going forward in the physical kids house and i also want to say this is when we kind of lose track of how much time they're spending in uh the loops because the reason i bring that up is because whenever you i've heard i've read this crazy stat about Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray, right? Saying something like, you, if you just watch that movie, you'll think he spent a lot of time living that life, but it's something crazy like a thousand years, like way longer than you would think, and it lets on. And some dialogue that hits on later with jerking off Todd a little bit, mm-hmm. like we don't see that. So, so you have to fill in the blank that they're doing this so much more than they're shoving in her face. And that's why I brought up they were on the 10th loop a little bit earlier. But now from here on out, it just goes exponential. We have no idea how many times they're partying. No idea how much Elliot is actually hearing this knocking and just slowly going more and more crazy. I cannot believe that you just jumped the gun on Margo jerking Todd off. I, I was using it as a reference for to prove that this is a lot of time that passes. <laughs> I my notice Todd is there, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine that enough time has passed for Margot's tolerance 
to go all the way down to jerk off Todd. Like that's got to be a long time. Yeah, it's a, it's a notable that is a notable fact that leads you to that conclusion. Any fuck. Yeah, any fuck. This is where we get the scene where Kyle thinks Elliot was looking really good. This is the toga scene and Elliot hears whispering again and it almost seems like he starts the sentence where he's going to start a dialogue about it with Margot, but Margot cuts him off because she's just wasted and it's just like, I have an idea. Ah, cock and balls, I forgot. <laughs> so she's, yeah, they're just partying away here and this is where we have the masquerade party and Margot is hooking up with some dude in a mask, says his name's Rajit, turns out his name is Todd, our boy Todd, the Dark King Todd. Come back when, Come you're, back when you're Rajit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's Richie. And then Todd, like, you know, for, I don't know. I wonder how many times he's said this, but it, it's Todd. I love how he, <laughs> he, like, he hasn't gone back to being called Elliot. He has just now accepted that he's just Todd forever. But then we, I don't know what leads to this, but I just have the line where she's like, it can't be, it can't be worse than discovering I just jacked off Todd for three time loops in a row. So what prompts that line is Elliot suggests that they need to quote unquote, think harder, which to him means they have to get more fucked up. And Margo's like, nah, 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 nah. I got to hydrate and I'll just look at the meteors hurtling towards Earth. Can't be worse than finding out about Todd. And then we get some more whispers in Elliot's ear. Let me out is now written in blood on the wall. So yeah, Elliot's mental state is just deteriorating here. And as we advance, we get kind of an Elliot partying montage where he's just kind of vibing, completely forgetting about his mission in the physical cottage. And he just keeps on hearing this knocking. And then this is the first time I think that we see the door with the heart written in red paint on it. And moving on, we get Elliot is just completely fucked up at this point. It's Son is still out. He's just chugging liquor, popping pills. And then Margot comes back and she says, hey, Elliot, listen, I got a lead with this oceanographer. He has a dolphin harem, whatever. Elliot's kind of just out of it. And Margot realizes this. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, listen, you just sit this one out. I'm going to follow up with my lead. And, you know, I'll do this. You you take a time out here. But Margot is going strong. That's our girl. She's not being affected by these time loops at all. She is going to save the world. Tom, so what you were saying, the episode is incredibly less stressful knowing <laughs> that it's not yeah. the beast. It's like I was I remember the first time watching it and my heart was just racing. I was getting PTSD to when Elliot was just all depressed and just killing everybody. And I was like, no, please do not go back to that. And then out steps this fucking dork. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, it's because they've. For a couple episodes, they've been planning, or was it only the last episode is the first time they hear the voice? Either way, like, I've been convinced that the monster is still alive and well, and that is a very dark plot that's going on. And, you know, you find out it's just Charlton. It's yeah. <laughs> perfect. Because that that implies that everything Q did was not fully worth it. Like, it didn't fully yeah. get the job done, which would not sit well with the binge town homies. Oh, yeah. That would have been some bullshit. We get Elliot waking up on the floor in the New York apartment again, and it's getting so bad that right when he opens his eyes, he is staring at Let Me Out written in blood on the ceiling. So it's getting worse and worse. And 
Margot is is talking to him, but he's he's kind of in a fog. Her words sound cloudy as she's talking, but she says, "Yo, listen, I followed up with the lead, and I think we have to check it out. We need to go to Fisher Beach Lifeguard Station 17." And Elliot has no interest in it. He goes over to the bar cart, starts pouring himself a drink, and this is where Margot finally confronts him about remembering all the monster stuff. She's like, "I, I was giving you your time, but you know, we got to deal with this." I really like the scene. There's a lot of funny quips from Margot, but also he tells her about it and she doesn't believe him. And he's like, I just told you about it and you don't believe me. And she's still like, you stay. I'm going to go figure this out. You sit this one out. I'll be back to go to the dolphin fucker, as she would call him. But damn, it's an intense scene. It's like, damn, Margot, he it literally is telling you. He's yeah. telling you right now. I think this is his best acted scene of the two episodes. It's just so good. You can just see that, you know, it obviously takes him a lot to say that to her and then having her not believe him saying it like the kind of despair on his face and his reaction is just, I mean, hate to see it, but love to see how well he acted it. Yeah. Q would never, all I have written is this is a rare L for Margot. Mm -hmm. She does not handle that appropriately at all. So she just leaves him to his own devices and tries to save the world. Elliot goes back to the physical cottage and just, he sits on the couch and mid party is just staring at this door and he is down bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did fuck with the the playlist though. Me too. Yeah. It's good. And then we get our ding again and it's Elliot and Margo waking up, but Margot is not woke to the time loop anymore. And you, you realize it immediately. She doesn't remember anything about Fisher beach. It, she, she hits us with the feeling the wrong kind of boned and Elliot starts talking about yesterday. She was like, wait, uh, I wasn't at the beach yesterday. And Elliot's just like, no fucking way. Are you serious? And then she sees Josh <laughs> sneeze on the pizza. And I want to say this is like the first time we've gotten an extended version of him sneezing on the pizza and his like look. And he like looks around <laughs> to see if anyone caught him sneeze. <laughs> Mario's like, Did Josh just sneeze on the pizza. <laughs> it's so good, man. Him like knew he got on. And he's like looking around like, yo, I hope no one noticed. <laughs> yeah. Love so it. now L's on on his own he's like eating sandwiches at prayer circles he's talking to himself in the mirror he's really he's it's getting bad so when he's looking at himself in the mirror there's this really sad trying to be inspirational but kind of dark radio thing happening in the background and josh turns it off and it's like you weren't listening to that right that was really depressing and elliot's and josh's scene chef's kiss these two i i mean this season is just full of people we don't get and this show could do no wrong with the pairings no wrong they're all something new they feel fresh and i love and i want this pierogi taco so bad the crunch of that taco (laughs) Mm. i wonder how many loops it actually took for elliot just to you know just go have dinner with josh thousands more than that but that would be so depressing to be elliot knowing that you had somebody with you to help you and now you're all alone it's literally all on your shoulders to save the earth. This gave me flashbacks to season three, episode one, where where Josh and Julia are having the conversation and Josh is gutted that magic doesn't exist anymore. And he's living in a world where like he he knew he was a magician. He was good and he whatever. And I loved that scene for Josh. This felt the same where he's like, he doesn't want the world to end. And when Elliot tells him about the loops, he's like, oh, yes, that's great. That's great like, news. Happy death day. 
Groundhog's Day, Edge of Tomorrow, Happy Death Day to You. Yeah. <laughs> Just starts naming all these. Like, wow, you really like those movies, huh? Yeah. Dude, he I, blew my mind with the all you need is kill thing. I didn't know that Edge of Tomorrow was based off of a Japanese light novel that got adapted into a manga. I did not know that at all. Me neither. Wow, that's pretty cool. Neither did I. Yeah, yeah. I like went right on Wikipedia and was looking it up. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. The line that I love just you know, as a nerd, is he's just like, oh, and you're awake in the loop. You're the hero. I am totally jealous. Because everybody, <laughs> God, that's awake in the loop. I was going to say, don't you think that sometimes Josh's lines could have been Quentin's lines with like the dorky references? I mean, I'm glad they're Josh. They're much more goofy coming from Josh. But even when Quentin was young, he was dropping references and stuff. And Julia was looking at him like, yep, that's cute. He always does. He always drops references. But anyway, go ahead. She would have been there to finish Josh's references, mm-hmm. which is just sad. So that takes us to Josh's bucket list restaurant. He wants pierogi tacos, which he doesn't like. Kathleen, you seem interested. I would try pierogi taco. That crunch is like ASMR, baby. I'm like, Ugh. Mm. so Josh is like, all right, you know, you're talking to me about this. Why aren't you talking to Alice, Julia, Katie, or to state the obvious, Margot. And Elliot explains how he feels like he kind of lost Margot and that Margot used to be in the time loop with him and now she isn't. And he's starting to doubt himself. He says, I, I don't think it's possible and this might be it for me just replaying this 12, the same 12 hours for the rest of eternity. And Josh keeps offering help. He's like, what can I do to help? What can we do to help? He's just such a nice guy. But Elliot starts to confide in Josh about the monster. And he he says, I still have the monster inside of me trying to get out. And Josh is like, hey, nice metaphor, man. <laughs> um, and, and this is where our fanboy Josh says, you know, why don't you let the monster out? It, I've watched a lot of these movies and it seems like the solution is often to let this thing that you fear out and address it. And this is a great line. Elliot's like, what if I die? Josh is like, what if you do? I loved that uh, back and forth they had when Elliot does finally confess about <clears throat> seeing the store and the beast. And he says, oh, okay, so the beast is behind it. Have you tried letting it out? Elliot's like, why the fuck? No, of course I haven't tried letting it out. Why would I ever do that? I've been doing everything I can to keep it closed. And that's when he goes on to the whole, you know, well, you know. You could, you could die, but what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> You've died a million times. One okay. comment I had about the restaurant. That restaurant was still going, even though they knew the world was going to end in a few hours. That's it's a classic Paul I would, comment. Classic. I would have left a, left a huge tip. Some great service. Before we transition out of the scene, Josh's confidence in L. He says, you're not afraid you're, you're about to die. And he says, I don't love it, but you'll figure out a way to fix this. Cheers. Chills. Ding. And love that. You know what? That is confidence that is not reciprocated. I don't think anybody else in the group believes in Josh like he believes in everybody else in the group. You know what I mean? And that's that's just who Josh is as a character. All that Josh. Just the man. Next, we get Elliot waking up and he takes Josh's advice. He, he concentrates hard and, you know, conjures up the door and starts hearing the knock and he inches closely and then he opens the door up and this is where we get our reveal. It's not the monster. It's just been Charlton this whole time. L's shoulders, his entire body language. And he was like, Charlton, <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you doing here? So Charlton hits him with a well fuck right when he bursts through the door because remember <laughs> yeah. he doesn't know what fuck means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it works here. Use, yeah, that was a good use. 
totally. This totally reminded me, like in the moment when Charlton walks through the door, I was just thinking the whole time, where the fuck has Hyman been? Yeah. Because he could have been such good at it humor to yeah. the rest of this episode because he wouldn't remember the loops and he could have just had his own little thing he did every single time you heard a ding you know budget i love hymen these two are very first of all they're they're from a different period so they're just comedy in general of talking like whatever time like charlton's thousands of years old so of course the the way they talk is is funny in general but they are very similar bit characters that yeah, uh, yeah. Hyman's funnier though. But, uh, so anyway, we we find out quickly that it's been Charlton this whole time. We've been hinting at the the entire podcast that it wasn't actually blood that he was writing on the wall to subconsciously hint to Elliot. It was just berries or something. Is what he said. So Santa. so so Elliot calls him out for using red paint, and he was just like, "Oh, like strawberries and Santa Claus." And then he says, "What about the blood?" He's like, "Okay, that was a touch ominous." So he did use blood for some of it because he's an idiot, and he was whispering to be polite, but Elliot thought it was just a creepy whisper and he's like what let me out i'm still here he's like yes because i wanted you to know that i was still here and wanted to be let out (laughs) i love the whole whispering being polite thing because the whispering was the thing that started it and it was so creepy from the get-go and it's been so creepy for episodes and for it to end up just being that Charlton was just trying to be polite and not like be too, you know, touchy. To they didn't want to startle you. <laughs> yeah, the moon brain so broke his brain enough for Charlton to, to get an entrance here, which uh, it's the best case scenario. You got to say that whatever was happening here, Charlton is the absolute best case scenario. And then Charlton becomes the answer to the finding the answer, which is to remind Elliot about Margot, right? And Fisher Beach. So they have this dialogue back and forth. Bottom line is they're gonna go. They're gonna go see why Margot got her memory wiped, and is it possibly because she got too close to the answer? So our next scene is them actually going to Fisher Beach. They see this phone wire that's just linked to this near the shack, and it's going into the ocean. Charlton has like a comment about it. Blah blah blah. They move into the shack itself, and it's just this old ass TV connected to the wire. They turn it on, and then right away we see these big ass just whales just being filmed and they start communicating with Elliot right away. We are the whales. I think that I just think that this was such a missed opportunity for them to do like Dory speaking to the, like Elliot trying to speak to the whales and being like, we need, (laughs) you know, in finding Nemo, Uh, that would have just been the absolute cherry on top of this episode. I liked that. They were just, you know, hoity toity whales that just thought they were, what too is, busy for these humans. What is the cause of this disturbance? Yes. <laughs> the one says, we are the whales. And Elliot's like, all of them? And they're like, of course, all of the whales. <laughs> so Elliot starts to explain the situation, but the whales already know. And Elliot's like, ah, whales grok time loops. They're just woke <laughs> to it. We find out that their magic is what's causing the time loop. And I got the whole quote here, if you'll indulge me. Our ancestors made a pact with the old gods, and so we spend our lives tracing sigils into the ocean floor. This task is crucial to ensure the kraken stays dormant. Should the kraken ever awaken, it would soon consume the world. The moon collided with Earth and obliterated uh, our protective sigils, causing the kraken to rise. Elliot responds with, kind of seems like a hat on a hat when you already have a moon apocalypse and the whales are like a bit flippant for a creature who caused said apocalypse fortunately their ancestors implemented a failsafe. if the kraken awakens it sends earth back by 12 hours hence the time loop that we're currently in allowing another chance to avert catastrophe 
We also yep. find out quickly that Margo, they they took away Margo's uh, time magic because she was being a bitch to them. Yes. <laughs> just straight up her out. I love when, when Elliot's describing her and he says about yay high and he puts his hand like at his own waist and it's just like, <laughs> she's so not that short. <laughs> I just cracked me up. I was totally getting Rick and Morty vibes again, like the squirrels when they're talking about overthrowing Argentina and starting a coup. It's just like the squirrels are in charge of everything. The whales are really just in charge of everything. You need to watch another TV show. Oh, I, I watch plenty of the same TV shows. <laughs> they get turned off. The whales are fed up. They turn it off. We get another ding. Elliot pops up and goes straight to Charlton. Like he is not wasting any time at this point because he has some answers now. And Margo's like, okay, okay, fine, bye. Um, so he kind of gives them the lowdown. And Alice is like, wow, yeah, whales really are powerful magicians. He's like, tell me what else you know. And she says their closest cousin is the hippo. Mating season is in the fall, which didn't think was going to come back. And then that's a hilarious <laughs> callback later. And then Josh comes in. So funny. Knows all about the Kraken. You got the Lovecraftian God Krakens, the D&D Krakens, the Clash of the Titans with the very famous line. And then they cut him off, of course, the best. So anyway, they, they need the time loop to trigger earlier. And so they can... Release the Kraken. Release the Kraken. <laughs> Josh. Josh has his mouth full, but the point. He's like, yes. He's like, yes. <laughs> so good. Margo wants to kill all of them. And they're like, well, to be fair, Margo, that's probably why you're not in the time loop anymore. <laughs> I also want to say that when Alice points out that their mating season is in the fall, Charlton quips in with, that's so sad. What if they never get to mate again? Although I'm <laughs> one to talk. It's been over a thousand years. <laughs> But they go back to the whales to convince them to release the Kraken right now. And th they shut them off right away. You find out that they do get convinced, but um, it's so funny. They go up to the beach. Elliot is screaming at the water and is basically being like, I have it on good authority that mating season is in the fall. Don't you ever want to fuck again? So good. Elliot, too personal. He's yeah. like, okay, sorry. Yeah. Charlton's getting nervous. He's like, dude, don't anger them. You know, last time they yeah. got angered. Margo lost her memory, but. Elliot's just pissed. He's had enough of this time loop shit. But after, you know, doing this whole call, you see a scuba man just kind of appear as a red herring. But would that not have been so the magicians if that was the Kraken yeah. in some way, yeah. right? I knew it wasn't, but I was still thinking they, they wrote it so well for that to just be a thing. I think the writers of the magicians totally knew that that would have been a magician's thing. And that's why they threw it in there. They're like, all right, dude, we're going to fake the audience out so hard. Like, we're going to make them think the Kraken is just like fat dude that has crabs and realistically five seconds later we're gonna have it come out and just kill elliot and josh or not josh uh charlton to be fair i mean they've done that so many times. we've had so many like assistants and messengers of gods that yeah i'm hating. i mean that was my literally my first thought was that guy clearly is going to be like the middleman between them and the Kraken and did he just die and just nothing? He just was unfortunately scuba diving at the end of the world. The Kraken, <laughs> Ridiculous. The, the Kraken was badass. Like that was a really, I mean, like they didn't have to CGI it so many times. It was only like a really a one-time thing so they could go all out. It looked enormous and warranted the whole whale magic and the old God treaty to keep it buried. So I really like that. And that's been on the <clears> backdrop <throat> of the title sequence this entire season. So yeah. that was cool. The whole, around the moon, so it's like mm -hmm. both episodes. The whole idea of triggering the Kraken in the end of the world just so the 12 hours hit sooner, it's like, that's so cool. It's such a 
not usual way of figuring out like all this time shit. Nothing. I've never seen anything like that before. And the the fact that they were able to cause basically another apocalypse sooner than the first apocalypse is, is insane. Mm-hmm. It's using the time loop to solve the time loop, which is cool. Yeah, very mix, unique. Mix that with the with the uh, info drop at the end that Fillory's having their own world crisis. It's like three entire just world destroying events are all happening, you know, within this certain amount of time. But it's the right. final season, baby. Right after Elliot gets smashed by the Kraken, he pops back to right before the party, and they're going over their plan again. And Elliot's face. Oh. is so it's just so happy to see him like smile a little bit he's like holy shit holy shit i did it pride all rise from here baby he's done with the monster being a thing in his head he's solving the the world crisis <laughs> love elliot he's ready to go to the moon. and uh the exact part of the scene where he cues in is when marco was about to take him aside and tell him to just like take out the ripcord and when she does that he's like marco credenza she's like don't ask questions. Just do as you say. All right. <laughs> These two, they're just, they're in it for each other and no one else. Well, that's not true, but mostly in it for each other. So they fast forward after doing, you know, don't ask questions. Just do as you say. We fast forward to the Marina standoff, but now Elliot is also handcuffed. So it's Julia, Alice, Alice and Elliot handcuffed. And Margot is the one that walks up behind Marina. But in order to kind of distract Marina from Margot walking up, Elliot's just like, I've met people, many people. How many people have you met? Because I bet I've met more people. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? And then Margot walks up and just like socks Marina right in the face. Oh, wait, is it Margot? No, it's Margot. Oh, it yeah, it's Margot. Katie has, Katie has the battle magic ready to go at not Frederick. And not Frederick just bails right afterwards. So Marina is out of commission. Julia does the spell and the moon is able to be moved. I can't believe that what Elliot changed. Uh, Either way, Elliot becomes the savior of the day as you know, he's just the hero and it feels good for him to be the hero. Totally. He might be Dave's favorite character, but he's probably besides Quentin, my second favorite character. Mm -hmm. So just the, the absolute joy I got from seeing him shine. Mostly in this episode, a little bit last episode is just this episode was so fucking phenomenal. And I guess I guess we can go to the last scene, which is after Elliot saves the day. We have two more conversations here. We have the Elliot and Margo reconciliation on the balcony. And this gets real deep. And this is where I wrote Kathleen has these notes because I didn't write any of the quotes down or anything like that. Yeah, I didn't. I was so staring at it and like tearing up that I don't have the full things was basically this conversation is everything to me. Um, He admits to pushing her away and he remembers the monster was bad and bloody. But Margo doesn't understand why he has to go it alone. But this is the part that's the greatest because he says my logical brain knows that I'm better with you. But during the loops, he realized that she's not who she used to be. She's grown. She's involved that Margot Hansen and I, the, the back and forth of them just basically 
saying I'm in love with you. You know what I mean? It's, I'm utterly miserable when you're not around. And I don't know if that's fair to you. She figured out how to fix it. And then he picked up the baton and did the damn thing. And now she's so proud of him as well. Um, he says, you understand me better than anyone or I understand you better than anyone. The best line is you did it when the world was on the line. Now do it for yourself. She just wants Elle to get better. She, he doesn't think he's on her level and he says something like, um, I don't know if I want to be on your level knowing that you jacked off Todd. I did not. You did. I did not. <laughs> and now we move forward to, of course, Todd knocking on the door to Julia and Margot being in the back running in and then running out is just <laughs> perfect. And almost like comedy they don't usually do in this show is like almost surprising little B. And I was like, it's perfection. It really is. <laughs> Because he wouldn't have even known regardless. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the funniest thing. She's just so embarrassed. I'm going to let Kai bring this bring this home because he's the biggest Todd slash Dark King fan here. Yeah, so the Dark King rolls into the apartment and <laughs> he has an issue. And his issue is that this pig came up to him and basically told him, trying to give him this mission that the Dark King believes is above his pay grade. So naturally, who does he go to? Julia. The who now has basically a reputation for saving the world because she's done it. What is this her third, fourth time? And the pig's name we all know is Sir Hargrave McGrubney Cuppins Archibald Effingham the third. And Julia at first is pissed to hear this because she's like, he this dude will not stop until he gets a man to go on this quest. We find out that the quest is that Fillory was the true apocalypse, or Fillory rather was the quest that he was trying to give Julia. So they are not done saving the world. They actually saved the wrong world. And now we find out that Fillory will be the rest of the season, I guess, because I'm a rook and I don't know. For me, I remember watching this live and being now six episodes in and saying, I cannot believe we're getting the apocalypse already. What is the rest of the season going to be? And honestly, I remember thinking it feels like two separate seasons almost the way they did it. And I mean, they just jam pack it for us. It, it, like Luke always says, it's all rise, baby. It really is all rise. I love that. They bring in dark King Todd right at the end, just to, you know, hype you up for the next episode. And like we were saying before, rest you just episode ends, the next one starts and you got to be like, Oh shit, I got to hit pause, but I want to see what he has to say. They know exactly what buttons to hit for me to hit next episode. <laughs> it would have been amazing. Isn't possible because it happens in the time loop. But if Todd rolled in with the pink wig on. Love that. I actually have a note being that. like, that's Todd in the pink wig, right? That I didn't say. Yeah. Man, <clears throat> dude, those two episodes were a goddamn trip. I'm happy that you guys are finally aware of like the whole time loop thing. You got to see the peak. One of the biggest peak of Elliot's entire run of the Magician series. Just, man, that, that episode was so fucking good. And also, Kyle, I knew we were playing uh, PlayStation probably like a month ago or something like that. And Now a month. Jesus, bro. It was like last week. Was it? Right, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, COVID's, COVID's a weird time. And one of our friends that we knew watched the Magicians, I was asking him, like, hey, how far did you get? And this is probably we podcast episode one or two at the most. And he says, yeah, I got to right when the moon broke. So Kyle was very aware that it would break. But you probably didn't even realize in the moment. Maybe you did. I don't know if that was on the forefront. Of I your mean, mind that it was like I said, I'm, I'm like 99 percent sure it was like last week. But okay. it so didn't change my it didn't really change my viewing experience at all. So don't worry, Chase Standin. <laughs> it's OK. 
for these two episodes, we've talked a lot about Margot and Elliot. And I will say that Margot, for me, in these two episodes is the MVP. But my man, Josh Hoberman, easily sixth man, coming off the bench and just starring almost in every scene that he's in. I fucking love Josh so much. And we talked about it in episode one. Uh, we're excited to see these characters kind of step up into that void that Quentin's death, unfortunately, gave us. And we talked a lot about Josh and Fenn. So hopefully Fenn for the rest, because we're moving into Fillory and we got our super sexy, super secret maid on the outside. <laughs> so hopefully we can move into that and she'll get a bigger role. But man, Josh in these two episodes, just I just can't stop smiling thinking about him. I fucking love that guy. He's the man. He was he was exactly what you're saying. Six man, total team player. Totally fucked up in the beginning of episode five when he fell asleep. But like we were saying, that right there to keep everybody else up, as soon as they did save the world, he had pizzas coming out of the oven left and right. Like just victory party ready to go. Josh is just so cool. Final thoughts as a rook. I don't know. Just the shock value of everything that happens in episode six was really great. I love the time loop trope. It's just like it does it for me. And especially if Elliot was the one going through it, it made it all the better. I'm a sucker for a good Elliot Margot episode. So yeah, episode six is an all timer for me. And the setup in episode five was also very rewarding. So love both of these. All right, everybody, it's time for our Bang, Kill, Marry segment, and we've got a heavy hitter just like this episode. So we've usually been doing side characters on the past few eps. We got a big one. I'm scared. We've got (laughs) Alice, Julia, and Katie. Oh, my God. This this is a BKM that we've talked about multiple times just throughout our magician's conversations. Um, I mean, our group text will randomly just send BKMs. Fucking like- See, usually we do have Margo in there in some capacity, but I find that when Margo's ever in the conversation, she the majority always marries her. So I wanted to put Katie in there because I felt like it would be a harder decision because I don't know. I feel like they're all attractive and, you know, Margo steals the show. We, we gush over anytime she talks. It just feels a little di- disadvantages disadvantageous to have her in there but i could start because i've thought about this one so i think this might be a little bit controversial because i i I could be the only one with this unique answer but i'm gonna kill julia and it took me forever to come to that conclusion because for the first four seasons of watching the show i was always julia was the hottest girl on the show marry her number one loved her personality loved her character but Throughout my second rewatch and podcasting on it, I thought about it more and more and my impressions of character change. And I'm actually going to kill Julia because of my two answers to the other. And I'm going to ban Katie because I think she's objectively the hottest of the three. She'll levitate you. Yeah. And she also, per season one, you know, she's got that crazy sex magic. So I grew to become more and more attracted to her. She's the best singer. That's always kind of hot. So Katie's going to be the bang and I'm going to marry Alice. And anytime I think about Alice, I always, of course, think about Quentin Coldwater. And I want what Quentin and Alice had. If I'm going to be living in this world with magic and stuff, I want that kind of relationship where you're with the smartest character. So you're always going to be involved in the main plot. You're always going to be that little (laughs) side piece, basically. And I'm a sucker for blondes. I think Alice is the best. I would marry Alice. I am so shocked by that. I know. Yeah. I'm also shocked of the reasoning being I want what Alice and, and Quinn yeah. had because good, the relationship dude, was good. self-described as a dumpster fire. True, but you know. I can uh, I can go next. I think I'm going to kill Katie just because she's the most un- 
like predictable. Like she could definitely just bring a knife in the bedroom out of nowhere. Um, and then I, I have to, I think I'm going to marry Julia because she's just so cool. I feel like if I married Alice, she would just make me feel dumb all the time and just like make fun of me because of how dumb I am. So I think Julia would just be more chill. Plus she, Julia's, she can do everything. Like if I ever need anything. And then I just have to bang Alice because what is underneath those sweaters, man? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I gotta see. It's like the big puffy coat and him. I just, I gots to know. <laughs> Perfect. Someone had to bring it up. Someone had to breach that. <laughs> I honestly thought that's what Luke was going to say when he, there was like a little pause between I want and then what Q and Alice. And I thought you were going to say, I want titties. <laughs> All right, Kyle. I'll got? go. Yeah. yeah, I'll go. I am going to basically do, I'm pretty sure. I mean, this literally was a minute ago, Paul, but I apologize. I'm going to do what Paul did. I think I'm going to marry Julia because. I really, really, really like Julia. She's very attractive. She has a very nice uh, style. Also, she's been through a lot, and I just like the way that she's kind of handled all of that adversity. I think that this non-inspirational, inspirational speech she gave is just a really perfect way to sum up her character, and that's just kind of someone I would like to be around. I'm going to unfortunately have to kill Katie. Only because when it comes down to Katie and Alice, I am 100% in Paul's camp of, I got to know. <laughs> so I'm going to basically do exactly what Paul did. Okay, so I can pick this up. And starting off, the only one guaranteed is I would marry Julia just because, and this is the most simplistic answer, but compared to the other two, she is just the nicest and almost the most normal, like conversationally, she's just kind of like the girl next door. Whereas Katie can be super mean and Alice just gives me anxiety oh when gosh. she's in the room. Then I would give, it to. I don't know. These are the two hard ones. I think I would give Katie the bang just because she can levitate. I, Alice probably could do that too. She's a better magician, but we've only seen it on screen with Katie. It looks like a bunch of fun. Uh, Kyle and Paul can tell me what's under the sweater because I'm killing Alice. I'm not sharing pics, bro. Describe them to me. Paint me a word picture. Now, imagine the head of two Irish babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a man never kisses and tells, B. Toms. No. <laughs> oh, man. As I know very well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, so I thought that's what you were going for. My gosh. Okay, binge, binge crew. What, what, what do you want, Kathleen? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think she was about to say something about some Irish babies. So we could get past that. Um, but this is tough, and this is how you know, man, we've got some fucking killer ladies on here because I, I was changing my answer with every single one of you. I can't not marry Julia. It would go against everything about me. I'm just so in love with her. I have been since day one. I felt like even in, when I watched season one, when people were hating Julia for certain things, like putting Q in the, in that spell in the, in the psych ward, whatever. I just love her. I don't care. I loved her in the books. So, and she's so, so beautiful. Oh my God. Hot. And uh, so I'm going to marry Julia I'm going to 
bang Katie because she's definitely better than Alice. And I'm telling you that she is. There's just no way. She should Alice for the bang. She's like, I was either gonna marry Alice or Julia. I was never gonna bang, just bang Alice. I was in the same boat. I was just yeah, I, you, right. You, yeah. Exactly. Because Alice Alice is meek and whatever. Like I I'm sure she gets better and especially post Niffin. I'm sure she's learned some things, but I it pains me to kill Alice because everything Luke said, and I really love Alice too, but I gotta uh, bang Katie, which would just be really fun. And then I'm going to kill my girl, Alice, who, I, who again, I always love, even though she's had some rough spots. But um, I'm going to have to kill Alice, even though, damn, she's hot, too. They're so all hot. does that mean we went four, four for five of Mary and Julia? Yes. I knew when I put this prompt up that, like, if, like, Julia was just going to kind of be the answer if Margo wasn't there. Maybe Margo would have been, been a better maybe Margo Yeah, Margo and Julia is a of, good matchup. Yeah. What, who would Margo have replaced, Alice? No, I think Margot would have replaced Julia. Katie, Margot, and Alice all have very blatant personality flaws. Alice is like meek and awkward and like can be like go off on her own. Katie is a big old bitch sometimes, and so is Margot. Like you can, there, there's big issues with all three of them. Like whatever, the dude. Best My wife us. can do magic better My than wife? your guy's wife. Fuck you. Uh, can she do magic that. better than Julia? I would love that yes. face off. My my wife was a goddess. Okay. Um, also, a little caveat: they have to wear that. That's Julie and Alice. That is what they wore in <laughs> Q's three-way flashback, nice. where Alice was Daenerys uh, and Julia was Princess Leia's Jabba the Hutt slave. Oh my <laughs> God! Give me those I'm a outfits. Savant for these things. <laughs> Keep an eye out for our continued coverage of the magicians. We're going to be covering each episode of season five week by week. And as always, if you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BingetownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. Peaches and plums, motherfuckers. Up, dog. Mm. Up, dog. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.